is the word of the Lord. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth of everything. He is by he is first by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers. Though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descent from them received tithe from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Who are you like? It's a question we're often figuring out. Last Saturday, we, or a week ago Saturday, we celebrated Josiah's birthday and we're continuing. Does he look like you? Does he look like me? Does he act like you? Does he act like me? Uh, who we're like becomes telling of who we are. It says something about who our parents are. It says something about who our friends are. It says something about the things that we take interest in. Comparison uh, becomes a great way to describe someone uh, that, to someone else who may not know them. You might say something in the positive like this, like uh, he was a great speaker like Abraham Lincoln or Martin Luther King Jr. He was a great leader like George Washington. Or it might be in the negative and says he's a terrible person like Hitler or Benedict Arnold, that name actually, you know, traitor. Benedict Arnold, when you want to call someone a traitor, you literally say, yeah, that person's a Benedict Arnold. The name describes them. Uh, the book of Hebrews, or the writer of Hebrews, I should say, here is, is trying to describe the high priestly office of Jesus Christ. And so he does this by pointing to this person, this man, this king and priest, by the name of Melchizedek. He's already been mentioned three times in this letter, but now we begin to get much more detail. And I have to confess something to y'all. I love Melchizedek. And that sounds weird, right? This is one of those passages where I just like really become nerdy about the Bible. And that's, that also sounds weird. But Melchizedek is such this cool figure that is this blip on the radar, but he shows us something so great that this, this man who appears 
in only two other times in Genesis 14, talking to Abraham, and in the Psalms, just for a brief moment, has such a great impact on our overarching theology of who Jesus is. And it really is, it just, it appeals to me. So as we come and we consider Melchizedek this morning, we're going to ask some very basic questions. Who is Melchizedek? What is Melchizedek? And why is Melchizedek? Who is Melchizedek? What is Melchizedek? And why is Melchizedek? Let's begin by looking at who. The who of the question. As I said, he only appears two other times. Genesis 14, 18, and 20 is one of those times. And this is the actual passage that's being referenced here. When it talks about Abraham and the giving of the tithe. But he's this very odd figure. Because Melchizedek comes out of Canaan. At the time Abraham goes into Canaan, uh, the, this land is full of the ites, right? What do I mean by it's filled with the ites? It's got the Canaanites and the Amorites and the, or all these other ites, right? Uh, and these are these, the enemies of gods. And they're all godless people, but somehow in the middle of this godless country, you have this one man named Melchizedek. How did he get there? Where did he come from? And there have been different speculation about who this man is. Uh, some say this is Shem, descended from Noah at the time of the flood. I don't know where they pull that from. There's nothing scriptural to back that up, but there you go. Some say it's some sort of angelic being, while others say this is the pre-incarnate Christ. I think all of these options are poor options. Particularly the last one when it says it's pre-incarnate Christ. Because our passage says here that he is like this one. Not the same as, but like. It says that in verse 3. Having, uh, at the very end it says, but resembling the son of God, he continues a priest forever. He not is the son of God, he resembles the son of God. So I don't think this can even be the pre-incarnate Christ. But the fact remains, we know so little about this man. What can we know? Where did he get his face from? Is he simply a descendant from the time of the flood of one of these men? And he is preserved in the true faith for all this time. John Calvin says this, amid the corruption of the world, he alone in that land was upright and sincere cultivator and guardian of religion. The writer of Hebrews, in telling us some things we know about uh, Melchizedek, points to his name. We've already seen this in part. Uh, Melech and Sadiq. Two Hebrew words. Melech and Sadiq make up this name Melchizedek. Melech means king. Sadiq means righteous. So we see, first off, he is the king of righteousness. The king of righteousness, but he is also the king of Salem, the king of peace. That's Salem is from the word, the Hebrew word, which you may have heard, shalom. Shalom, the king of peace. He is the king of righteousness who uh, reigns over the city of uh, peace, excuse me, which is more than likely 
Jerusalem, Jerusalem, city of peace. But he, he also has an especially noteworthy feature here in our text. He is said to be without beginning or end. It tells us here in verse 3, he is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God continues a priest forever. This is very peculiar. You're like, so are you saying he, he wasn't born and he didn't die? But what is in view here is not Melchizedek himself. What is in view here is how he fills this office. A.W. Pink says this, The silence of the Old Testament scriptures concerning his parentage has a designate or designed significance. The entire omission was ordered by the Holy Spirit in order to present a perfect type of the Lord Jesus. So here we have this figure, Melchizedek, king of righteousness and the city of peace, king of peace. He has no lineage. He has no parentage. He has no being born date. He has no dying date. And and there's a sense in which if you stop there, you would go, okay, this is a, a, a godly man living in a godless land and I should do the same. And that's true in a sense. He's an example for us of like, how do we live in a, a godless land? We are to remain faithful. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a priest and a king. He blessed Abraham. He is one who is like the son of man. But at the end of the day, Melchizedek isn't here to be an example for us. Not primarily to be an example for us. He's to be something so much more. He does not, first and foremost, describe who we are or who we should strive to be. He points to someone else. Which leads us to our next question. What is Melchizedek? What is Melchizedek? And you might be going, well, that's a silly question. You just told us what he was. He was a king. He was a king of a city of peace. He's a man, right? You describe him. He's not an angelic being. He's not the pre-incarnate Christ. But what is Melchizedek? And what he becomes for us is a type. Uh, Verse 3, as we saw here, but resembling the Son of God. There's something we use in theology. It's called typology. And, And the Bible is notorious for this. It presents in the Old Testament something that is meant to point us to something else in the New Testament. And Melchizedek, for us, is the basis for who Jesus is going to be. And notice, nowhere else in the Old Testament do you get this completed picture. King of righteousness over the city of peace. Nowhere else in scripture do you get this completed picture of who Christ was going to be. He comes both as king and as priest, one who reigns and yet one who sacrifices. This is who Melchizedek is a type of. He points us to the greater that is Christ. He represents in part everything that Christ is in full. 
So again, we look at these descriptors of who Melchizedek was. First, we noted that he was a king and a priest. And Jesus comes as a king and a priest. Jesus, who is exalted into heaven, who sits at the right hand of God, who is the mediator for salvation. This is what Christ has done for us. He offered his blood on the cross as an atonement for sins. On the cross, Jesus was acting as priest for us. But he used his own blood. He possesses royal power and authority to subdue us. He governs us. He is king. The reality is that Melchizedek, while he filled this role in the Old Testament in an unprecedented way, and nowhere else do you see the office of priest and king come together in the Old Testament. Nowhere. Only in this man. And yet it's still incomplete. Christ came and filled it perfectly. The second thing we saw is that Melchizedek blesses Abraham in the presence of his enemies. As they're coming off the battlefield, as they defeated the Canaanites, Melchizedek comes to Abraham and he blesses him. And the writer of Hebrews makes some very simple statements about this. Well, the superior always blesses the inferior. This always happens. Melchizedek comes and he ministers to Abraham. And in this, we see the ministry of Christ to us. We are despised by the world. Yet as we laid hold of the promises of God... Christ acknowledges us as God's own. And I love the picture here because what does Melchizedek do? He comes and he brings bread and wine. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is no mistake. It is no mistake that Melchizedek comes to Abraham with bread and wine. Because who else comes to us with bread and wine? Jesus. He comes and he gives us bread and wine. And he says, this is my body broken. This is my blood poured out for you. Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. So that in Jesus Christ, the blessing of Abraham, the blessing of Abraham. Who is it that blessed Abraham? Melchizedek. Melchizedek blessed Abraham so that the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Again, we see that Melchizedek is the king of righteousness over the the city of peace. He offers us peace because he first achieved righteousness that was needed. Jesus can offer us peace because he has achieved righteousness. Charles Spurgeon, note well the order of these two and the dependence of one upon the other. For there could be no true peace that was not grounded upon righteousness. And out of righteousness, peace is sure to spring up. 
Our peace that we have is founded on the righteousness of Jesus. And I think there's another implication here that I just want to slightly point you towards, and then we'll move on. As you seek righteousness, that brings peace as well. Do you sense strife in your family, in your church, in your work? Seek righteousness. But we go on. Christ ascended not an earthly throne or even a war horse. No, he ascended a cross. You remember on the cross, uh, Pilate had a placard put there. Do you remember what it said? King of the Jews, right? He may as well put Melchizedek there. King of righteousness over the city of peace. This is who Jesus is. The king of righteousness. Understanding that on the cross he accomplished this righteousness. He brings forth righteousness and peace. Then we see, fourthly, that Melchizedek had this eternal priesthood. And it's interesting here, you know, he talks, the the writer talks about the the Levites on multiple times here. And and he connects the Levites to Melchizedek through Abraham. The Levites at this time were, he says, in Abraham's loins, right? Meaning they would descend from him. And he places Melchizedek in a a place of superiority over the, the Levites, Melchizedek comes and he has no beginning or end. And if you go to places like Chronicles or the genealogies of Genesis, what do you see? They lived and they died. They lived and they died. What do you not see from Melchizedek? He does not have a born and he does not have a death. And this does not mean that he did not, he was not born and that he did not die. That's not the point here. The point is that Jesus is like him, that his priesthood is without beginning and without end and therefore is superior to that of the Levites. Christ accomplished this fully, even in a way that Melchizedek could not approach. So that now when you die, you are presented to God's throne. And Jesus is there. Jesus himself is there before the throne. As we come up to him and he says, you see these wounds? I bore these for this one. That is what Jesus is doing for us. Your account is paid in full. This is why I nerd out over this. Because this is the connection that we see to Christ. And remember here, we saw this last time, Abraham, some 4,000 years ago. Abraham, some 2,000 years before Jesus, is blessed by Melchizedek. This is history. This is not some sort of revivinous history. This is this type being placed in Genesis 14 that we get to then see fulfilled in Christ and then told by the writer of Hebrews, look at all how all this is unfolding. 
And it is an amazing thing. So that now when we see here that Abraham partakes of the blood, or excuse me, the the wine and the bread, and then we see Christ at at the Last Supper, and we see that that's the promises that we lay hold of. It's the wondrous reality of Christ. He's perfect king, and he is perfectly righteous. He's brought peace to us that is never ending. And so we rejoice. That God, who has been working all of redemptive history, has brought it to its fruition. And it's come to that fruition in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And it means that Jesus is better, that we should put our trust in him. And this leads us to our third and final point. Why Melchizedek? And you go, that's just an odd question. It's like I, I were to come in and say like, I'll say this name because there's three of us here, so you don't know who I'm talking about. Why Daniel? Why Daniel? Why Melchizedek? Why would God use this person, Melchizedek? Why should we focus on him? And, and the point is this. At the end of the day, the point is this. He remains a type. He is not the fulfillment of the type. He's a mysterious and interesting figure who it might take you weeks to learn how to spell his name or maybe say it. But he prefigures something greater. He's not Jesus. And everything that he does, Jesus does better. At the end of the day, why Melchizedek is answered by this? To show Jesus to be better. To show Jesus to be better. Hey, writer or listeners of Hebrew in the when it was written, do you know why you should not return to Judaism? Because Melchizedek is better than Abraham, and everything that Melchizedek was is fulfilled in Christ. Why would you turn from Christ to Abraham? At the end of the day, that's the why. Abraham comes to Melchizedek and he gives him a tithe, saying, you are superior to me. Abraham is blessed by Melchizedek, saying, you are superior to me. It's better. It's a better priesthood. It is eternal. Christ is superior to Judaism. To renounce Christ is to renounce everything that the Old Testament stood upon. The source from which even Abraham received a blessing. The new covenant, and we often use this thing, the new covenant is not called new because it's different. It's not called new because it's different. It's called new because it brought to fulfillment all that had been anticipated. It brought to completion. So the reality is this. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you have a great Savior. Why would you turn from Christ to Moses? Why would you move from gospel back to law? Why would you look in the faces of Jesus and the grace that you received and say, now let me earn it. Let me trust in myself. If you want to see righteousness on display, then go read the story of Jesus. 
It is this wonderful, beautiful picture of Jesus and his righteousness on display. Because everything that was done for Abraham through Melchizedek was done for us through Jesus, but better. He is our king of righteousness, cleansing us from all sins through his precious blood. He clothes us in his royal robes of perfect obedience. And we dwell and we will dwell in his city of peace because he has cleansed us from our sins. We who find our righteousness in him will dwell with him. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Likewise in Revelation 21, verses 3 through 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall be their mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Jesus Christ himself comes to us There's a difference as Abraham left the field of victory. Melchizedek comes to him. But Jesus, he is the one who leaves the field of victory. And he comes to us. For he has been victorious. He has defeated the world, the flesh, and the devil. And he has brought us his righteousness. And in bringing us his righteousness, he brings us peace. I love Melchizedek because he's this wonderful character who lived thousands of years ago. And yet he's this wonderful and beautiful picture of who Jesus is. And yet he still is subservient to Jesus. He is still the lesser while Jesus is the greater Jesus, who is this king and priest who joins these two offices perfectly. He is the one that has come. Jesus, is that something better, not a second option? He was what God intended all along. Understand this, all of the law, all of it from Genesis To the, I'm going to say Chronicles, but that's the original end of the Old Testament, not the way we changed it. All of it, the Old Testament, all of it points to Jesus. It's preparing us for Jesus. So we don't look back and go, man, option one failed. What am I going to do? That's not God in heaven. That's not what he's doing. Well, I guess we'll have to go with this option. It's not what I wanted, but it's what I'll deal with. No, from the very beginning of time, that was the purpose to save us through the one who is Jesus. And the Old Testament is, is basically this. You can't do it. Try. You can't do it. Try. Here's my law. Be perfect. I told you you couldn't do it. Here's one who can. Jesus is better. He's better 
Better than what? Everything. everything. I know you've been waiting for it. Everything. He's better than everything. He's better than Melchizedek. He's better than Abraham. He's better than it all. He brings us a blessing. The blessing of reconciliation and peace with God. So let us come. Let us see what the writer has for us. That there's nothing in this world that's worth turning towards if it means turning away from Jesus. There's nothing better that can catch our eye. We must focus our eyes on Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. In Christ alone, my hope is found. Nowhere else. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this man, Melchizedek. Not for anything that is in himself, not for what he has done, not for even his blessing of Abraham and providing the bread and the wine, but because in him you point me to Jesus. In him you show me that that was what you had planned all along, that you have been, from the very creation of the world, you have been providing and planning for me salvation. That it is no mistake, it is not mere happenstance, it is not a story created by men to deal with their situation, but it is the very word and truth of God. Would we together here today rest firm in that truth and stand upon him who is better, better than everything. Amen. Let us stand.